Would you guys uh, do me a favor? Uh, would you say these words with me? Come, Holy Spirit. Ready? Come, Holy Spirit. So, Jesus, we ask that you uh, would speak to us. Lord, as we open up the scripture, as we desire to hear from you, we ask by your spirit that you would illuminate and transform and speak. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Um, I don't know if you know this, but today Taylor Swift is playing in the Super Bowl in Las Vegas. You guys didn't know that? Do you guys know who Taylor Swift is? I mean, there's just a few of you that are like, who's Taylor Swift? Anyway, you just look it up. It'll happen today around 5 o'clock. Um, I also don't know if you knew this. 5.30. Sorry, Katie. Yep, got it. Um, as the rector or the lead pastor here, keeping with this metaphor of football, as I want to do all the time, my job is not the quarterback. My job is the coach. In fact, I rarely ever step foot on the field. Ephesians 4, and he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. As we heard last week from Joel, God expects his people to act like him. And so in the normative Christian life, the blocking and the tackling, one of those things of acting like God is to be on mission. Everyone needs to play their part. We uh, preached on this pretty extensively in 1 Corinthians a few months ago, if you want to go back for that. God is still on mission to reach the ends of the earth. And for the last 20 centuries, men and women have been sent out from their local churches, their local parishes, to preach and teach and establish new churches. That's what's happened for 2,000 years. But in those very same parishes, the majority of the men and women did what? They stayed put. So both for those ones that were sent out from their local parish and those that stayed at home, the job description was the same. To make disciples, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus said. So whether sent out, whether staying at home, the norm is to shine one's little light, to pass it along to others. And pastors and priests and deacons and church staff cannot do all of the work and never were we designed for it. And that's where the church comes in. That's you guys, right? The priesthood of all believers, 1 Peter 2, 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, what we've talked about is spreading the gospel so far. We're talking about um, giving the good news of Jesus Christ away. And before we really get into the sermon, I want you to hold on to four questions, ponder them as we go through the text. When you think about the call to share the gospel with your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, whomever, do you feel equipped to do that? Do you really feel equipped to share the gospel? 
If not, and I would say almost all of us would raise our hands at that question, what is it that you feel is lacking? Number three, in what area do you think God is inviting you to grow next? Lastly, who has God put in your life to foster that area of growth? Okay, so keep those four questions in your mind as we go through the scripture. Special thanks to Joel and Sandy and the rest of the staff for holding down the fort while Robert and I were sailing in the British Virgin Islands last week. As Robert said, it was really formative. Um, The Holy Spirit was moving in some pretty incredible ways. Uh, As we were coming back, we heard a few reports of Joel's fantastic sermon. Woo! Yep. Uh, And after reading his manuscript, I agree. Very, very good. Um, As a recap, Joel presented us with three main points last week. God's blessing is not narrow, rather it is broad. God favors the desperate, and then God expects his people to act like him. Very, very good points. Today is the final sermon in our Epiphany sermon series, which we titled Mission from the Beginning. And what we've been doing is we've been following the story of Abram and Sarai and the incredible promises from God to them, chief of which are, Abram will be a father of many nations, his name will be great, he will be exceedingly fruitful, kings will come from his line, covenant will pass along through generations, in fact, it will be everlasting Then there's the gift of the king ranch, okay, the land. Oh, oh, last thing. And all of this will come through the son of promise, Isaac, when they are nonagenarians. That is, humans who are between 90 and 99 years old. These are fantastic promises from God. But instead, today, of continuing in Genesis, we're going to actually jump to Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at the birth of the church. We're going to see that the promises of God to Abram, they reach a further fulfillment than even the national religious leaders in the first century could understand or imagine. Look with me at Acts chapter 1. They gathered around him, and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? It's a really profound question by the disciples after all that they've seen. And and Jesus replies, it's not for you to know the times or the dates, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the ends of the earth. It's the birth of the church. If we could rewind a little bit, we see in Jesus' three-year public ministry that he spent the majority of his time ministering to the people of Israel, but not exclusively so. There's the Roman centurion in Matthew 8, the Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15, the Gerasene demoniac in Mark chapter 5. He also spoke very clearly about ministry to the Gentiles. You'll see a few of those here on screen. Jesus withdrew from there, and many followed, and he healed them all But he ordered them not to make him known, and this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to who? To the Gentiles. Going further to verse 21, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. 
So Jesus is primarily speaking to his own people, but he knows what's coming. He knows that this is much broader, right? Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Luke 2, we just sang it. It's a song of Simeon. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all people a light for revelation. And he's singing this, by the way, in the temple. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. But it wasn't just Jesus who connected the Abrahamic covenant, and the promises associated therein to the nations. Um, you're going to see some references on the screen. Uh, I'm going to read them out to us, but those are here if you want to look them up later. It is too light a thing, this is Isaiah 49, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Psalm 67 May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine to shine upon us, Selah. That your way may be known upon earth and your saving power among all nations. Ezekiel 36. Thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. Isaiah 42. I am the Lord, and I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. 52 of Isaiah. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. A few chapters later. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. The nations, we've seen them from the very beginning chapters of Genesis. And yet with all these really clear markers, many of the Jewish people thought that the blessing of land and people and nation was just about them. That Yahweh set them in this land only for themselves, as if it was a prize, like they deserved it, right? They'd become a country club. But God has been about the nation since the very beginning. Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations, a city on a hill. Instead, they hid their light under a bushel. Oh, no. Oh, no. Like, truly, oh, no. This is not good. They didn't let it shine. In fact, what they did is they put walls around it and they built a dome over it. They thought it was just for them, keeping in uh, the metaphor of the Super Bowl, if you haven't heard of the sphere in Las Vegas, it's this big dome that's got 360 degree screens, 
What Israel did was they got into the sphere and they turned all the outside lights off. They had screens inside and it was awesome. But, but the sphere was made for what? For both interior and exterior projection. I wonder if we've gotten the same way in the church. Have we forgotten the mandate from Jesus in Matthew 28? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, says Jesus, of course. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've told you. Remember Acts 1? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then to the very ends of the earth. It's really interesting that when we see Jesus' last few interactions with his disciples, he tells them to go, to be on mission, to spread the light, to preach the gospel, not just in the land of promise, which was really important for Abraham and Sarah, right? Not just there, but to all the ends of the earth. Um, This is a bit of a non-alive equine moment here, but God has been on mission to the nation since the very beginning. I'm saying it four, five, six, seven times so that we might remember, that we might see it. God could have chosen another way. Instead, he chose a family a man and a woman and their son of promise. And he held up his end of the covenant. For By the time that we get to Acts chapter 13, many of those promises that we heard to Abram, to Sarai, they'd been fulfilled. Abraham was indeed the father of many nations. His name was great. It was the greatest at the time. He was exceedingly fruitful. Kings like David had come from his line. Covenant had been passing along generation after generation, and they were in the land. In fact, they had a permanent temple built in said land. So God had been faithful to the people, to his covenant promise up to the time to where we get to Acts chapter 13. Um, I want to skim... And so I'm going to ask, Holy Spirit, would you allow us to hear your word right now? I'm going to skim uh, Acts 13, almost the whole chapter. So uh, we'll go through it fast, but listen to what Paul is saying. And you're going to hear just broad strokes of the Old Testament, okay? So this is Paul speaking in the synagogue. Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen up. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers, And made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. He gave them their land as an inheritance. And all of this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel, the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had been removed, he raised up David to be their king. Of this man's offering, God has brought 
to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John the Baptist had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read each Sabbath, fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, here Abraham, this he has fulfilled to us by their children, by raising Jesus. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed from in the law of Moses. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them again on the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue was dismissed, many Jews and devout converts followed Paul and Barnabas, urging them to continue in the grace of God. Now the next Sabbath, almost the entire city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God, listen up, be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge, for yourself, judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Verse 47, for the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That's Isaiah 49. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And listen to this, verse 49. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the entire region. There's your three-minute history of the Old Testament. It's right there, Acts chapter 13. Look real quick at what Joel reminded us of last week. God's blessing is not narrow. Instead, it is broad. God favors the desperate of whom we all are. That is our tribe. And lastly, God expects his people to act like him. So God sought this family out, and then he blessed them, and he built a nation from them. And that nation was to be a light to the nations. From that nation and from Abram's line came the Messiah, and Messiah commissioned his followers to go where? To the nations and to spread the light of the gospel until the end of time. Pretty awesome. Um, this moment in the life of Grace Northridge is pretty fun. Uh, we're growing in attendance. We're growing in depth of community with each other. We are growing in our unity, one with another, which is really beautiful. But in our growth, we cannot circle the wagons. This feels really good. 
This is fun. We love each other. I don't know if you, well, I watched Robert. He tried to get you to stop talking after the piece, and it's, it was like, you know, like herding cats. It's like, good luck, bub. I mean, these people are really enjoying each other. We cannot take this gift that we've been given, mainly the gospel, but then from the gospel, he's created this new community here. And we have this incredible unity and the Holy Spirit is moving powerfully among us. We cannot build walls around it. We cannot put a dome over it. We've got to be intentional. We've got to be invitational. We have to go across the street in our neighborhoods. We've got to go across town in our great city. We also have to go to the ends of the earth. Otherwise, we're like those unlucky folks that found the key to the sphere and they found the button to the exterior one, the exterior projection screens and they just turned it off. Because from their perspective, this is great. Bono's been singing for like 13 days straight. (laughs) This is awesome, man. Like, wouldn't you you love to be locked in with you two? It'd be fantastic. You wouldn't even know that the outside world wasn't getting the same benefit. We gotta keep the outside projectors on. Back to those four questions from the beginning. When you think about this call to share the gospel with your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, do you feel equipped to do that? Let me just say something very pastorally. That is not, there is, there is to be no shame that comes from that question. It's just a self-assessment. Do I feel equipped to share the gospel? If not, what do you think is lacking? What area do you think God is inviting? Do you see that? Do you... No shame for God to be involved in your spiritual formation. No shame. Who has God put in your life to foster that area of growth? I'm assuming that the answer to question one is no, I don't feel fully equipped. So we go to the next slide. We go to the source. God is the source of your spiritual formation. So as we move into the season of Lent, we are, we are leaving the cycle of light, which is Advent, Christmas, and Epiphany. I would like us as a community to be, to be asking these questions. I'm sure we can figure out a way to put them in the e-news this week. What are you saying? All right, I'm going to pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, you are... The Lord, you're the giver of life. 
you know what we need and you know what we are called to and you know that without you we cannot do it. So Lord, we pray now for our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. God, give us boldness. Give us everything that we need to share your light. Lord, you give us the words. You give us the boldness. Lord, thank you for what you're doing in our community and thank you for what you're doing in the future here in and through us. We're humbled by it. We're so thankful. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Um, today is the last uh, Sunday of our pastoral prayers, and as it turns out, uh, we've come to Tanzania, as it were. So would you join with me in praying together? Oh, Jesus, light of the world, you come into the dark places of this earth. You bring a light from God that only you can shed. Light eternal, your light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. We bring to you the darkness of our world and war and starvation and cruelty and exploitation. We bring to you the darkness of our earth, damaged and defaced by pollution. We bring to you the darkness of our nation, beset with conflict of race and class, religion and politics. We bring to you the darkness of our relationships, people not looking, not speaking, not listening, not forgiving. We bring to you the darkness of our own souls, hidden closets we have not visited or cleaned out for years. O oh Jesus, light of the world, be a morning star above for us, a radiance within, the shining all around that lets us live in love. Only then shall we be reflectors of your brightness and give glory to God in heaven. Jesus, light of the world, we now pray for Bishop Darlington and the Diocese of Kagera in Tanzania. Lord, bless the 300-plus churches that you've entrusted to the clergy's care there. Lord, continue to bless each deacon, priest, and parishioner as they live on mission in their villages and cities. Jesus, we also ask that you provide resources of people and provisions for the hospital that they run there. God, use the care that they provide to communicate your great love to the sick and infirmed. Jesus, we ask you to shine your light through them. Amen.